I'm Jambo. Mabibi Namabwana. Since you started with a Swahili song, I thought I'd greet you in Swahili. Uh, I was uh, really impressed uh, on the screen up there where it said, uh, Senior Pastor Kenny Foster elect. And that is Calvinistic confidence. <laughs> right there. And, uh, but I'm afraid that now they're going to erase the elect from your name. And, uh, but they can't do it from the Lamb's Book of Life, right? So, congratulations, my brother. Hallelujah. So, to uh, Jonathan Seda and his dear wife, retired, uh, to the elders of this church, uh, to the deacons, the officers, the leaders, the members, and to the new senior pastor of this church, greetings in Jesus' name. And I bring you greetings uh, from my wife, Joan, uh, who had the lead singing this morning at New City in Chattanooga, and uh, from uh, our church. We have two new cities in Chattanooga now, uh, Glenwood and Eastlake. And uh, in the network, we are in about 80 cities in five countries, and... Uh, about 70 congregations and 30 nonprofits, And so that is the kind of the scope of it. But I, I was so honored uh, when your pastor, your new senior pastor, invited me to come and uh, preach uh, to you. And I was instructed that I have to combine the charge to the pastor, the charge to the elders, and the charge to the members all in one sermon. And, uh, and to do that in a short amount of time. So I need your prayers and, uh, and your forgiveness. Because you know I'm not going to be short. Uh, but I'm going to try. Um, your church uh, is a joy to my heart. And a, I believe a glory to God in its testimony. And... Uh, you know, obviously there have been faithful saints here ever since the church was planted. Uh, but one of the great stories of uh, Grace uh, Presbyterian here in Dover, of course, is when uh, uh, Pastor Seda and the session made an intentional choice that they would move to be multi-ethnic and cross-cultural. And, you know, that never comes without a price being paid. There are people who resist that. There are people who, who uh, think that, why, why do you have to do that? You know, let, let's just be a church. Let's just preach the gospel, some would say. Why do you have to even bring up the issue of race or ethnicity? And, you know, the, 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 this whole thing is not about politics. This issue is missional. It, it is the call of the gospel. You know, we, we don't complain when somebody says, uh, you preached on the Great Commission and I feel called to go overseas to another culture and be cross-cultural in mission. We, we say, yeah, yeah, of course. But it, 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 it's kind of radical when you take a majority culture church here in the United States and you intentionally say, we want to include people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we want to give glory to God. And we, we don't want to wait for heaven to do that. We want to be a model of the kingdom here. 
And uh, so there are people who leave. There are people who get offended. There are people who don't understand. But we, and we all give up something uh, in cross-cultural churches. There, you know, on any given Sunday, there'll be a song you don't like. <laughs> there'll be a song that stretches you. There'll be a language. There'll be a rhythm, you know, and, and, and all kinds of changes. But what we gain, what we gain is so much greater than what we lose. And so glory to God for all of you and glory to God for the testimony of Grace Church. To God be the glory. Uh, today I want to uh, bring my remarks from the book of First Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, uh, I'd love for you uh, to turn with me there to First Thessalonians chapter 5. And we are going to begin reading uh, at verse 12. I'm going to take my remarks primarily from this section of chapter 5 and also from the second chapter. Um, but here we go. Verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Thank you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for the word of God. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to come in your power and bless us Lord, as we, as we believe what you say, and as you work grace in us to obey what you say. But we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What's going on in that church? You know, I wonder if anybody driving down the road as they look over here and they look at these buildings, if they ever ask that question. You know, every, every once in a while, something wild happens in America, and somebody actually walks into church they know nothing about. It doesn't happen very often. Most people come to a church because their family or friends invite them. That's the normal way people will come to a new church. It, it's kind of threatening if you, you, know, you just walk into a church building and you don't know anybody there, and you don't really know anything about their religion 
you walk in, you, you don't know if by the end of the day you'll have sold all your property, you know, and uh, become a cult member or what, you know. But I just wonder, as people drive down the road or people hear about Grace Church, if they ever ask that question, what's going on in that church? But I hope that when they come and when they experience it, they might be able to walk out saying, there's a whole lot of love going on. A whole lot of love. A whole lot of love going on. Uh, I really love this uh, book of the Bible. I, I love Paul's love for the Thessalonians up there in Macedonia, in the northern part of Greece. And he has some really wonderful things to say about him. And it's so fitting uh, for a pastor and a relationship between a pastor and a congregation. My last year uh, of being a senior pastor, I was a senior pastor for 36 years, one less than uh, Jonathan at New City. And uh, in that, we took about four years uh, to work towards transition and having a search committee. And we didn't have a blessing like you guys did where you have uh, two wonderful men of God working side by side and you kind of had to do the handoff. They didn't quite know what was going to come after me. And I was trying to prepare the congregation. What kind of a man should you look for? <laughs> what should he be like? And how should you treat him? And so a lot of those things come back to me as I prepare to come and speak to you. And so, <coughs> excuse me, I want to speak today in terms of these three challenges to the people and to the elders and to your pastor. And uh, please, as, as you hear these things, mark them down as things you need to remember for the future. This, this, is, this is the way a lot of love is going to be going on at Grace Presbyterian Church. It says here in our text uh, to the people, it says, Respect your leaders who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So you have some really key words here. Respect. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we pastors feel like the Rodney Dangerfield of uh, religion. You know, we don't get no respect. And uh, now you might say, what are you talking about? Everybody respects you. People call you reverend. They call you pastor. You know, uh, you know they show you deference. And, 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 you know, sometimes it is that way. Sometimes even too much. You know, people, people seem to might maybe give us too much respect. Until you want to get serious about sin. <laughs> until maybe you get serious about uh, casting a vision and saying, we're going to need to step out in faith. And then all of a sudden, maybe that respect isn't there. But this is a, an important word for us in the body of Christ. One, it, it's something we ought to show to each other. A courtesy and a kindness that we would take our words seriously, that, that, uh, that we wouldn't just dismiss other people. Please do not be dismissive of your pastor. Don't, you know, don't walk away from the sermons. Well, that's his opinion. Now, it's, it's important that you check him out. 
that you make sure what he said is really from the word. Because that's really the only authority we have. Is are we preaching the word of God? But I encourage you to do here what the scripture says. It says here to esteem him highly in love. It, any church is blessed when the people feel loved by their pastor and the fast pastor feels loved by the people. And I can't tell you uh, how many churches that I've seen that are, that are like train wrecks uh, where, where the, you realize the people do not love their pastor. They just put up with him. And, and the pastor, he doesn't seem to love his people. He seems to be using them or he just basically keeping a job. That, that's a terrible atmosphere to have for church. And, and I would just encourage you to, uh, to use your weapons of prayer, to be praying always, to be on your guard. You know, why am I, if I'm losing respect for my pastor, if I'm losing respect for those in authority, that's a spiritual issue. And, and, and it needs to be addressed quickly. And it needs not ever to fall into gossip or backbiting or slander. You know, there, there are churches that have some pretty bad reputations with pastors. Some, I remember a church, even in Chattanooga area, they used to say, they're a, they're a pastor killer. They kill pastors. Pastors don't last there. You know, they, they get all excited about a new one, and then they run him into the ground and get, him, get rid of him. And now they're on another pastoral search. Now, y'all have been blessed. You have had a long tenure of a pastor, and you also have had now a long acquaintance with your new pastor. That is a blessing. And so there, here's, this is the, the word of God to us about how we ought to treat our pastors. We're to love them. We're to respect them. We're to esteem them highly. And then he says here, just, just a word about us as, 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 as a people, as a church. It says, be at peace among yourselves. In a, in a multi-ethnic church, in a church that's being cross-cultural, it is really glorious when you realize we are at peace. Now, isn't this an amazing thing? You don't have to be multi-ethnic to have conflict. I mean, we got a lot of churches. They're only one kind of people. <laughs> it's like an all-white church and they all speak English. Or an all-Korean church, they all speak Korean. Or a Hispanic church, they all speak Spanish. Or an African-American church. And, you know, they're all just one group of people. Thank you very much. And they can't get along. You know, we, we kind of tell a joke down in Chattanooga. You know, we've got First Baptist. And then we have Second Baptist that split from First Baptist. And then we have Greater Second Baptist that split from Second Baptist. You know, and, and for some people, that's how they planted churches. They just split. We are to be at peace. And I will, I will give God glory for this, that in, in, in the churches in the New City Network who are trying so... Uh, strenuously to be cross-cultural, those churches are unified. They're committed 
to the same biblical heavenly vision. And that solves a lot of arguments. It's not every Sunday where the vision is up for grabs, where somebody says, well, I want us to go that way, and I want us to go that way. I can't begin to tell you how blessed you are to have one unified vision. Be at peace among yourselves. Here's some more, and this really comes uh, from chapter 2 of this wonderful book. So if you, ha- you might want to look back there with me. But one of the things that uh, the Apostle Paul was really excited about, about this church, is when he came there originally to preach the gospel to them, he says this in verse 13 of, of the second chapter, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so I would say this to the congregation. When Pastor Kenny or any Man of God stands in front of you and he preaches from the book. Receive it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. If he's true to the word. Obviously, we have men who who get up and they preach their latest idea. Uh, they, They preach their slant on things. That's why it's so important for every believer to recognize your own priesthood. And, and to study the word on your own so that when the man of God stands in front of you and he opens the scripture and he proclaims it to you, you can, you can have that Bible open either in your hand or in your heart. You hear what he's saying and you say, Amen. That's in the book. It's in the book. I am bound to do what God says. What a joy for the Apostle Paul to be an evangelist and come to these people who who knew nothing about Jesus Christ. And for him to stand and proclaim that Christ had died for their sins and had risen again and is the Lord of glory and is now reconciling everything in heaven and on earth to himself. And for them to hear that and say, yes, that's true. It's from God. It'll make all the difference in your church experience. If you are somebody full of faith and when you hear the word of God preached, your heart just gets so excited about it and you leave this place saying, I know what God wants me to do. I know how God wants me to live. It's not, this is not a mystery. I have heard the word of God. Please keep receiving from your brother the word of God. Amen? Amen. All right, I I want to move on to uh, the elders. Because here, back in chapter 5, there's a list of things uh, that the leaders are told to do. And so I would focus on this, especially for the elders of the church. It says this, uh, verse 14, chapter 5. And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good 
to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. We are Presbyterians. Uh, We are governed by the rule of elders. Now, let me just say this. Every Christian, male or female, should aspire to all of the godly characteristics of an elder. You know, it says that whoever, uh, you know, seeks that office, seeks a good thing. But it it is the quality of life that qualifies somebody to be an elder. You're not qualified to be an elder because you're a rich person. You're you're, you're not qualified to be an elder because you're good at business. You're, You're not qualified to be an elder because you're a politician. The office of elder is not a stepping stone for social advancement. If you say, if I just have that title, you know, and and know they they like me in the church, maybe in the world, people will think I'm important. Uh, Being an elder is not a status symbol. Being an elder is a holy calling, and and the qualifications for it are a holy life. The qualifications for being an elder are not that you are obnoxious about theology. Somebody needs to write that down and send it to every presbytery. You know, we, we love our theology in the, in the PCA. We, we, we love the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger and shorter catechisms. We love thinking about it, talking about it, praying about it. But God forbid we should be arrogant about it. <laughs> How could you be arrogant about a theology of grace? Grace says you are dead in your sins. So that's what you come to the table with. So you're already in embarrassment. Right? Nobody, nobody in this religion starts out saying, I'm qualified. And, and listen to me because I'm important. No, everybody in this religion says, I was lost without hope, without God in the world. And I came to the cross and Jesus saved me. I had nothing to give except my sin. And you know, holiness means you never outgrow that concept. Holiness says... You're always at the foot of the cross. And our elders lead the way that way. So any time there's any kind of pretense or arrogance or obnoxiousness because they have read a lot of theology or they know all the rules, maybe you need to get back to the cross. It tells us here that because of this Uh, office because of of their life they are to do these things they're to admonish the idol so uh, your elders have a a, a place and your pastors have a place to say what are you doing how are you serving the Lord where's the evidence of the spirit 
in your life. But then it says this, help the weak. And you know, sometimes when you get in a leadership position, you, you, you want everybody to be patient with your weakness, but you're impatient with everybody else's. That's ridiculous. We are all weak at different times. And, you know, I, I, we, I used to be in a group of pastors that met every week, and they would sometimes uh, really make fun of their own churches, and they would say, you know, if we could put our members on, on like, baseball cards, could we trade them? You know, could I, could I get rid of some of my troublesome members? You know, and they'd say, I'd be a great pastor if I didn't have any members. And I said, well, then you wouldn't be a pastor, would you? No. We have a lot of weak people. Brothers and sisters, I, we just want you to know, welcome to the church of Jesus Christ, a, a place for weak people. You say, no, everybody, I go, I go there. I know I, I'm the weakest person in the, in the room. I go there every time. Everybody's well-dressed. They all know Bible verses, and they all, they, they all seem to get, you don't know what, you don't know their life. You know, some of these people, they didn't drive in. They got towed in this morning by the mercy of God. Help the weak. Do not despise them. Do not make fun of them. Do not run over them. He says, I love this word in the Greek, uh, macrothumia. It's the word we translate into patience. And literally it means long-suffering. Be long-suffering. And that is what pastors and elders must do because, you know, I, I was a senior pastor and I was also a colonel in the army. I was in the reserves as a chaplain. And, you know, the thing about colonels, uh, uh, fighter pilots, and surgeons, we all think we're God. That was sort of the joke, you know. <laughs> And because your word means something, you, you can be decisive at that level. And, uh, you know, I, I brought my army and my church stuff, you know, sometimes in one person, in one body in the church. But I could not speak to my people as a colonel. Because church folk don't relate that way. They don't, they don't always seem to obey orders. They, they didn't always seem to just take it. From, as if it were from heaven, because I said so. They really needed long suffering. And aren't we glad God is long suffering with us? So please seek to do good to one another and to everybody. And I'm saying this especially to leaders today. Rejoice always, stop complaining. Be thankful, even in COVID. Be thankful. God's teaching us something. I don't like it. I pray against COVID. I pray for God's mercy on the world. But if God brings judgment, shouldn't we ought to pay attention? Wouldn't it be horrible if we went through this whole experience as a nation, as a world, as families and people, and we learned nothing? Have mercy, Lord. Don't repay evil for evil. Elders, when you see that happening in the church, 
rebuke it. All right, let's go finish up with our pastor. It tells us here in uh, chapter 5 and 12, it talks about somebody who is laboring. Somebody who's working. Somebody who's an overseer. And that he means he's a shepherd. He's watching over you. That's his job. I don't think you're going to have to worry about a lazy pastor. But it is a job. It is work. And sometimes it's overwhelming work. You know, I I struggle in my own life because I I feel uh, constantly that I'm just a lazy man. And... uh, you know, I struggle with this, that all my, in my schoolwork and everything I do. And, and one time, uh, my wife and I, we, for some reason, we were listening to the radio and they were talking about workaholics. And I turned to my wife and I said, I'm not a workaholic, am I? And my wife just, her head just snapped. <laughs> and she gave me this look like, are you an idiot? Because I was always comp- overcompensating for what I felt about myself. That I wasn't good enough. That I wasn't doing enough. And I, I, I needed my wife to rebuke me. Are you out of your mind? You know? And one of the problems for this ministry, this job of being a pastor, is to become a workaholic. Because you feel responsible. You want to please God. You want to serve the people. You want to do well. And maybe you're struggling with your own ego, your own inner demons about, are you worth this? Can I tell you, you're you're not worthy of this call. Let's just get that straight. But it's not about your worthiness. Jesus has made you worthy by his grace. You are fully competent for this job. You are well called for this job. You're elect for this job. So don't ever try to try to be worthy of it. Let Jesus be that. Listen to your wife when she says you need <laughs> when she says you need to chill out. You need to back off. Time for vacation. Take a day off. They give you a sabbatical. If they don't, ask for it. But if they give it, take it. Learn how to rest well. But this is a job. And you are a man, it says here, approved by God. This is back in the earlier chapters of Thessalonians. It says, approved by God, entrusted with the gospel to please God. Now, now Paul, back in the second chapter here, back in verse uh, 7, he describes how he pastored the people of Thessalonica. And this is a beautiful picture. He says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother. We were affectionate toward you. And I will tell you, Kenny, you will solve so many pastoral issues if the people just simply know that about you. In your relationship with the people, if they know Pastor Foster loves me, This is not about his ego. 
This is not about him manipulating me. This is not about him trying to get glory for himself. He cares about my soul. And so even though I don't like what he's telling me right now about my behavior, about my sin, about what I ought to be doing, I know he loves me. And, I'm, and I, because of that, I love him. Uh, Paul says here, yeah, back in chapter 2, he said, you know, he, he didn't preach these things from error or from impurity. You know, we, brothers and sisters, uh, religion has always had bad people in it. Okay? The religion business, uh, pastors, bishops, popes, people in spiritual authority. We have always had corruption in various people. May God not allow that to be true of this church. That you would have, a, and you need to pray for him, that when he preaches it would not be from error, it would not be from impurity, that he would not uh, use it as a pretext for greed. And then, and then I love these words back in chapter 2. He says, you know, when I came to you, I didn't do it to please people. And this is such an important issue with pastors because so many of us, we, we, we take a calling to preach because we want to be people pleasers. We love it when people applaud us. But Paul says, I didn't come to please you. It's hard to get, keep a job when you say that. You know, write to people's faces. I didn't come to please you. And then he says, I didn't come to flatter you or to be flattered by you. Now, this doesn't mean your pastor won't encourage you. But please understand, for him to maintain his integrity, he can't be captured by the idolatry of your favor. Because that is a scary moment when a pastor stands before his people and he knows he's got something to say that's going to tick everybody off. And I've met pastors, they have their finger in the air, they're always testing which way the wind is blowing in the congregation. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. We need to love you as pastors, but we don't need to be afraid of you. Fear God and nothing else. And he'll give he'll he'll back you up. So we're not here as pastors to seek glory from men, but from God. Now let me just close by reading that little portion there at the end of chapter 5. And I'm not giving the benediction this morning, but I will give you this benediction from the scripture for all of you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That means make you holy completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's this great promise. He who calls you is faithful. Say amen. Amen. And he will surely do it.